A fun hypothesis of mine. Can heat help us to curb our food cravings and get on track with healthy eating? Let's use neuroscience to find out. Only here on the People Scientist Podcast. to the People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking, to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 63. It is my goal every week to arm us with some scientific evidence so we can all be a little bit smarter and healthier every week. If you are tuning in for the first time, then welcome to the People Scientist Army. My name is Stephanie, and I am a postdoctoral fellow at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. So that means I have a PhD and I'm doing a research fellowship where I conduct different studies. I do research from cell culture all the way up to clinical trials. My background is in nutrition and physiology. Those were my first degrees. During my PhD, I realized that the biggest hurdle to our health was our behavior and our addictions. For example, cigarette smoking, alcohol drinking, and sugar or food addiction. So I currently study behavioral neuroscience to try to treat those issues. So I wanted to understand how our brain impacts our addictive behavior and vice versa, how our behavior or diet and what we eat impacts our brain. I have a keen interest in knowing the neuroscience behind stress, addiction, and depression, then using that neuroscience to find healthy alternatives and treatments. So for example, in past episodes, I've spoken about how sugary, delicious food activates our brain reward regions and satiety brain regions to make us feel good and satisfied. So I researched to see what else can activate these brain regions instead of sugary food. I have found that music, bitter taste, sour taste, exercise, comedy, interacting with our friends, caffeine, etc. can activate these brain regions in a similar manner and maybe good alternatives to sugary food. But for today's topic, it is somewhat similar. As it is summer in most parts of the world, including here in New York, I started thinking about summer topics, like I covered sun protection and skin health last episode. Then I began to realize that heat can impact our appetite too. Like here it can get really hot and humid some days. And I find that when it is really hot and humid, I tend to not have much of an appetite. I eat much less. There is anecdotal and observational data suggesting that this may be common for many. Do you find that as well? So that got me thinking, how does heat impact our appetite? What is the neuroscience behind this? Is it possible to use heat as a therapy to help curb food cravings and to help us eat healthier? Let's find out. Let's start off, as we always do, with some core takeaways. 
So this is my hypothesis, that we can use heat to reduce our appetite and food cravings, and therefore heat can help us eat healthier. So that's my hypothesis. For example, heat therapy could include a hot shower, a hot bath, using the sauna, keeping our home warmer, wearing very warm clothing, increasing the humidity in our home with a humidifier, exercising to increase our body heat, eating spicy food and drinking warm beverages and hot soups to increase our body temperature. The reason why this may work is, in, is rooted in neuroscience. A brain region called the hypothalamus controls our body's temperature and interestingly, our appetite and food cravings as well. When we eat food, we generate heat. So our hypothalamus thinks when we are cold, we need to eat so we can release heat to warm up. So let's turn on the hypothalamus to make us hungry and crave food. Whereas the opposite is true. I'm hot. I don't want to produce more heat. So let's turn off the hypothalamus to reduce our appetite so we don't generate any more heat from eating. So this begs the question, can heat reduce our appetite by turning off the hypothalamus? It appears that it's very possible, yes. There are other details in this episode that I will go into, including stress eating, depression and anxiety, how eating releases body heat, called thermogenesis, and more. Now, let's get into the details. So my really cool hypothesis that I want to study one day soon when I have my own lab, I'm going to share with you, which hopefully is not too far off. Maybe in a couple of years, I'll be able to study this. It is the idea that we might be able to regulate our appetite and therefore promote healthy eating by controlling the temperature of our body. It has been realized for decades that animals eat in order to stay warm. The reason being is when we eat, our body responds by releasing heat. This is called diet-induced thermogenesis. For example, after we eat, our breathing rate may increase, our heart rate may increase, and the metabolism processes will increase in order to break down and use the energy for food. And the energy that is released is in part through heat. As a result, there's a concept called heat-induced satiety. I've thrown this word around, satiety, a few times in past episodes. Satiety means we are satisfied, satiated. We no longer are hungry. We are no longer craving food. So that's satiety. So heat may be one of the signals to tell our brain, okay, you can stop eating now. I'm warm enough. So that's called heat-induced satiety. So what part of our brain regulates this? That would be the hypothalamus. We have known since the 1930s and probably even earlier that the hypothalamus is the main brain region that regulates our body's temperature. What is even more fascinating is that the hypothalamus also is the main brain region that regulates our appetite and eating behavior. So body temperature and appetite are regulated by the same brain region. So it's one of the reasons by which those two things may be connected. Now to anyone listening with more of a neuroscience background, I recognize that the hypothalamus is a very complex brain region with different subregions and neuron types that all play different roles in eating and behavior. 
but because my audience is so diverse, I'm just going to refer to the hypothalamus as a whole, leaving out these specific subregions. If you want to talk more in depth on the neuroscience details, then feel free to reach out to me. So we know that the hypothalamus responds to temperature by looking at fMRI scans. Now fMRI will measure the blood flow in the brain as a way to see the brain signal or which brain regions are being recruited. So in this particular scenario, scientists looked to see how the brain region signal of the hypothalamus changed under different temperatures. For example, in a couple clinical trials, the scientists applied heat to the participants' hands up to 46 degrees Celsius. The scientists noted that certain brain regions responded. In fact, there was a decrease in the blood flow to the hypothalamus of the brain. Now, this can be interpreted as less recruitment of the hypothalamus with heat. In the journal Nature in the year 2000, interestingly, after eating, the signal in the hypothalamus also reduced. So eating and heat can reduce the recruitment of the hypothalamus. Now, how about the opposite, cold and fasting or hunger? Interestingly, in the same nature study, fasting, so not eating for several hours, increased the signal of the hypothalamus in humans. Cold temperature does the same. It increases the signal of the hypothalamus. This is thought to be because the hypothalamus is being activated in order to get us to eat and to be warm. So very simply, heat, eating, and feeling full turns off the hypothalamus. Feeling cold, hungry, and fasting turns on the hypothalamus. This makes sense in the context of survival. We are cold, so we need to eat so we can release heat to warm up. So let's turn on the hypothalamus to make us hungry in order for us to crave food. Whereas the opposite is true as well. I am hot. I don't want to, to produce more heat. So let's turn off the hypothalamus to reduce our appetite so that we don't generate any more heat from eating. How about in the scenario where the hypothalamus is not functioning normally? For example, back in episode 55, I talk about the hypothalamus in the context of depression and anxiety. In the year 2017, in the journal Psychoneuroendocrinology, the scientists concluded that in depression and anxiety, the hypothalamus may be more active than normal. Specifically, the signal of the hypothalamus gives to the pituitary adrenal axis may be overactive or hyperactive. This circuit of the hypothalamus, pituitary adrenal axis, abbreviated usually the HPA axis, is generalized as our stress circuit. Too much activation of this circuit can lead us to feeling anxious and stressed. And unfortunately, this circuit is overactive in individuals with anxiety and depression. So this is thought to be one underlying reason or mechanism for depression and anxiety. So as I mentioned earlier, when the hypothalamus is activated, we tend to feel hungry and crave food. So perhaps this is a possible explanation as to why we may eat more when we feel depressed, stressed, or anxious. It is all linked by the hypothalamus. It is thought that the hypothalamus may also not function properly in obesity. Another reason for how obesity and mental well-being may be linked for example, in 1999, Matsuda and colleagues measured the signal of the hypothalamus in response to sugar in lean adults versus adults living with obesity. The scientists noted that the lean adults had a drop in the hypothalamus signal 
with the sugar, with the increase in blood glucose. However, the adults who were obese did not have such a drop in the hypothalamus signal. So what does this mean? Individuals who are obese may have abnormal brain responses to sugar that may cause them to have an increased appetite for food, meaning that their satiety feeling, their satisfied feeling signals in the brain are blunted. In 2012, in the journal Obesity, obese young women also exhibited a lower capacity to produce body heat after eating. Now remember, the increase in body heat after eating could be a satiety signal to tell our brain to reduce appetite. So if in obesity, body temperature does not increase after eating to the same extent as lean adults, this could be a potential contributor to increased appetite in obesity as well. Again, an indication of blunted satiety signals in obesity. So I mentioned how depression, anxiety, and obesity all seem to be linked to alterations in the activity of the hypothalamus. So this begs the question, does this contribute to stress eating? Sometimes we may eat delicious food because it'll make us feel better. That is in part because when we eat delicious food, the brain reward regions like the nucleus accumbens become activated in order to release dopamine, the feel-good neurotransmitter. Eating delicious food can also reduce our appetite because it reduces the activity of the hypothalamus. But what I propose in this episode is that we use neuroscience to get around this so that we can find healthy alternatives to sugary, unhealthy food. So maybe we can use heat instead of unhealthy food to reduce the hypothalamus signal and therefore use heat to reduce stress and appetite. So is there evidence to support this? Well, in a published survey, many people reported that when it is hot outside, they don't feel like eating. Or if they do want to eat, it tends to be cooler, lighter, and more water-based foods and drinks. Back in episode 55, I talked about how heat as a therapy may reduce stress, anxiety, and promote mental well-being. Some preliminary data suggests that heat, such as using a sauna, taking a hot bath or hot shower, or doing hot yoga, for example, may be beneficial for mental health. So indirectly, heat may help with healthy eating by promoting mental well-being and reducing stress. I hypothesize that also keeping our home on the warmer side, so using less air conditioning, wearing warmer clothing, increasing the humidity of our home with a humidifier may also be strategies. One thing to consider though is that we may not sleep as well when we are hot. So during sleep, if you find that you need it to be cooler, that is something important to consider. You could keep your bedroom cooler at night, but your home warmer during the day. Another thing to consider is that our body temperature can be raised by exercising, eating hot spices, and consuming warm beverages too. So it is not just dependent on our environmental temperature. So is there any evidence to support my ideas? In 2011, in the journal Physiology and Behavior, 25 men and women were recruited to determine if spicy food could increase body temperature and alter appetite. Half the participants were frequent consumers of spicy food and half were not. They noted that eating one gram of hot red pepper increased body core temperature and energy and expenditure versus no red pepper. But keep in mind that they ate the hot red pepper with some food. Eating it just by itself may be very harsh on the stomach and gastrointestinal tract. 
Now, the scientists also noted that intake of the spicy red pepper reduced measures of appetite by about 50%. Now, this included measures such as preoccupation with food and the desire to consume fatty, salty, and sweet foods. This finding has been replicated quite a few times in different populations. It is important to note that they also looked at capsules of hot red pepper, but this did not seem to have the same effect. So actually tasting and chewing the hot red pepper seemed to be necessary for the potential beneficial effect in this clinical trial. Interestingly, in this study, people with a history of eating spicy food seemed to respond less to the benefits of spice on appetite. So it may be a good idea to sometimes take a break from eating spicy food, then start up again in order to somewhat resensitize our body's response to spice. Now do keep in mind that spicy foods may worsen gastric reflux and stomach ulcers. So if you are prone or suffering from this, it may be in your best interest to avoid spicy food. Always talk with your physician before trying something new. Are there any other studies to support my ideas? To be honest, not much more. There are some published surveys that show people do prefer lighter, cooler foods on hot days. There are a couple studies looking at sauna use and appetite, but it is in individuals that are severely ill with severe heart failure that is not applicable to the general population. And a handful of studies looking at heat stress in animals like dairy cows and pigs. But overall, our knowledge on this topic is limited to understanding the neurobiology of heat on appetite. So I would love to do some clinical trials looking at this topic. This is one area that I would love to form my lab around in the future. This episode has inspired me to compile all my ideas for healthy eating that I've covered in episodes. I think that multiple strategies are necessary to promote healthy eating. For individuals that are struggling with food cravings and weight loss, I don't think one strategy is enough. Like heat therapy may help partially, but it may not be enough for most. As well, when I go through my vitamin mini-series episodes, many people ask me for recipe ideas that are high in vitamins. So one day I may do a podcast episode where I summarize all the healthy eating strategies I've covered and to provide some recipes. Let me know if that's something that interests you. So in brief summary of today's episode, I think my hypothesis makes sense based on the survival mechanism. Because when we eat, we produce heat. So when we are hot... Our hypothalamus shuts down and says, do not eat, do not crave food, because I don't want you to produce any more heat from eating. Whereas the opposite also holds true. When we are cold, our hypothalamus gets turned on and it says, you should eat. I'm going to increase your appetite. I'm going to increase your food cravings because I need you to produce more heat. And one of those ways is if you eat. So we can leverage that neuroscience, that mechanism to potentially help us curb our food cravings and to help us maintain a healthy diet. So this led me to the hypothesis of, can heat as a therapy reduce food cravings and help us eat a healthier diet? My answer is yes, I think it is possible based on our understanding of the brain. But the clinical data does not quite yet exist to support this idea. This is something I hope to study in a clinical trial in a couple of years. I would, for example, look at a combination of sauna use, hot shower, a hot bath, a warmer temperature in the home with a humidifier to increase the humidity in the home, eating spicy food, exercise, and drinking hot beverages to see if it could could help reduce appetite, food cravings, and to support a healthy, balanced diet. 
Are there people where heat may not be appropriate for them? Yes, it's possible. For example, the very elderly, individuals that tend to have low blood pressure or heart failure, it may, they may not respond very well to heat. So do keep that in mind. And that's why I recommend people to consult their physician before trying anything new. And if you wind up bringing this up to your physician, I encourage you to share this episode with them. Because a lot of times physicians might be reticent to go along with something if they don't have all the scientific evidence. So if you share this episode with them, then they will have the scientific evidence in front of them and perhaps maybe more knowledgeable and able to give you proper care and information to supplement this episode. If you do wind up trying any of these strategies, let me know how it goes for you. I would love to hear. You can reach out to me on social media. I am on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and TikTok. If you have a choice among social media platforms, I use Instagram the most. Lastly, I'm sure this is going to sound selfish, but for everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, could you please take a moment to rate and review the show? The more ratings the show receives, the more likely others will see it, and I would love it if this show could reach more people. If you are not listening on Apple Podcasts, would you be against the idea of sharing the podcast with someone? This is another way to show me that you love the podcast and for me to continue making episodes. So that is a wrap, my people scientist army. I hope that this episode was interesting and intriguing. I know it was more hypothesis-based, but it was such a cool idea that I had that I wanted to share with all of you, and I'd love to hear what you think of it. Like I said, I hope to actually be able to study this in a clinical trial very soon. So I hope you all have a very healthy and happy week, and I look forward to meeting you back here next week, the same time in the same place on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates. Thank you.